All right. This is episode number seven of my podcast. Lucky we, number seven? Yeah. Nice. Luckily number seven. And I have my friend um, Paige McClay. Yes. From the, She works for Claremont School, School District, and she is one of the, the therapists of the district. Yeah. You can elaborate. Yeah, on. I am kind of the solo uh, licensed mental health clinician for the district. I... Um, my license is in marriage and family therapy in the okay. state of New Hampshire, um, but I am the solo therapist. So I work with kids who have- The only therapist in the district. The only, the, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, we do contract out with other community health agencies, but I'm yeah. the solo. So yeah. love for, for more people to come on. Um, but for now, it's just me. Before we uh, talk about, um, you know, working uh, with children with trauma backgrounds and what that does to the brain and stuff. Can you speak to what it's like to be the sole therapist of an entire school district? Um, so, so a little bit of my background, I, so I grew up in Claremont and like, so literally like went to Maple Ave, mm -hmm. went to the middle school. Like mm -hmm. there's one, one of the art projects that I did probably when I was in seventh grade. It's like still in one of the classrooms. Um, really? What, yeah, mm -hmm. went to went to Stevens. Uh, I graduated in 2006. Um, so a lot of a lot of the teachers are kind of still there that uh, were there when I graduated. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to college, I did, it was kind of classic kid out of high school. Like I don't really know what I want right. to do. Um, so I, was a, I majored in psych and as I kind of got into that and got into my sophomore year mm -hmm. I found out that that was a lot more research and statistics and stuff that was super boring to me so yeah. I was like I don't really this isn't really what I want to do yeah. and then I found out that my um, school actually had a human services major mm -hmm. as well so I actually was able to switch and all my things uh, equaled out and as I got it to the end of that I was kind of like well shit like what am I going to do next mm -hmm. and so I was like well might as well go to more school because like right. i don't really know what kind of job i'm gonna get and this is like 2010 so we're just out of the recession right, right. so like right. so coming graduating college that time like was terrible for finding jobs like I'm we sure. were lucky to get any it, type of job was it was it hard to there probably wasn't much for human services then was there uh i mean there was but the you were getting paid like five dollars an hour oh my god i mean like ten dollars an hour you know yeah, like for, but that's still it's like it was like nothing yeah. so um we so i decided that you know i should probably i'll just go to school kind of like prolong yeah. what, what i need to do I, you know in that time mm -hmm. the higher degree you get the better chances for a job right um like you couldn't you would get looked over a lot of the jobs like if you only had a bachelor's degree for like so you maybe needed like twenty five thousand, thirty dollars, thirty thousand dollars a year. Really? Yeah. So so I went and I. Um, so you had to get a master's degree. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I went. And, so I went and got my master's degree in marriage and family therapy at um, Antioch, New England, and Keene. Okay. Um, and then through my. I haven't really heard much about that school. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's it's really they have a um, they have a pretty some pretty good programs there. Nice. Um, so. And that's where you got your master's. That's where I got my master's. I'm thinking that because um, I'm. Do I'm, I want to get my master's in social work eventually? So yeah, I'm just I'm going to transferring to Granite State now, but I'm thinking after that because they don't have master's programs for social right, work. Right, so. right, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, um, and so I so I originally when I was at Antioch in New England, I had an internship with this company who would be get contracted with DCYF and um, juvenile probation to go okay. in and do in-home family therapy mm -hmm. um, with these families to kind of like do what they need to do in order to get their kids back or yep. just kind of like stay out of placement. Um, so in that, I kind of found out like I really liked working with the kids aspect yeah. of. But so you like working with the kids, but not so much the, the adults. Yeah, I, I, yeah, not so much the adults. I think that they were kind of they were I, literally somebody told me i'm not gonna i'm i'm the way i am i'm not gonna change and yep. so that's how it is so i was like you know what kids are a little more flexible so yeah. i'm gonna do that so um i, I wanted into, to do yeah i run into school. that a lot doing home visits now because it's like i feel like there's such a fine line because i want to like help but i don't want to tick them off so it's like 
Right. What yeah. do you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, so really kind of, as I kind of got, started to understand um, systems and kids and, and therapy and working with families, I really wanted to work with kids and my dream job literally was working in a school setting, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think I just saw my, oh, my oldest daughter was not even a year old at that point and she, uh, this job in Claremont came up and I was like, oh my God, this is like the most perfect, mm -hmm. right? How like, long have you been working in Claremont? So this is my sixth year. Okay, so, so a while. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I, um, so I was like, this is like my dream job, like the community that I wanna work in, the exact job that I wanna have. Um, mm -hmm. And because I think that it really helps like being from Claremont and like knowing Absolutely. how gritty people can be, right? As, as someone who's also from Claremont and works yeah. with the people who I agree. Right, right. Yeah. So so you have kind of like that buy-in. Um, I mean, you know, under underneath it all, it's like there is this big kind of community aspect, but it's like, I, I think that definitely there's kind of like more buy-in from it, like parents and stuff, right? Sure. So, so that's like my background in terms of like, where I got from, mm -hmm. from school, from, from Claremont to back to Claremont. From, <laughs> like, like a circle. Like circle, a, right, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of like what I, what I do. Cool. Yeah. Now I'm um, talking about uh, Claremont, there's obviously trauma backgrounds are obviously uh, forefront here, right? Would you agree? Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of, um, <coughs> there's a lot, I, I specialize kind of my, my niche is trauma um it kind of inadvertent like it, it kind of was like it wasn't trying like when i went to school it wasn't like all about trauma i think like i was initially like everyone else who, who was like oh like yeah. trauma that's kind of really that's heavy right that's heavy yeah. like i don't know you know like not wanting to make people uncomfortable but right. as i kind of gained more skills um and learned more about like trauma and its effect on brain your brain um I was really like, this is so cool. Like it's yeah. fucked up, but it's like it's fascinating, so cool. Right? It's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. The, the things that like your experiences that you have and how it can permanently change your brain is right. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's literally what happens, right? You go through a, a traumatizing experience and it literally changes how your brain functions. Am, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that I'm really into is a child... Uh, adverse childhood experiences study. Yeah. So in the uh, 80s, there was this company, Kaiser Permanente, and they had an obesity clinic in San Diego. And um, they had a 50% dropout rate. And so they were kind oh, of like, you know, why is this happening? Like we have so many people who are really successful at yeah. losing weight, but why, like we're losing 50% of our participants. Like this is crazy. Right. And so what they did is they had follow-up interviews with those people mm -hmm. and they found out like a really high percentage of those people were, had experienced some type of um, sexual, child sexual trauma in their mm -hmm. life. And so they were kind of like, oh, okay. So, you know, let's, look a little more into this and maybe overeating is coping skill to like anxiety and depression. And For sure. Yeah. Right. So what they did is they actually teamed up with the CDC because the mm -hmm. CDC kind of heard about it and mm -hmm. they got really interested and they did a bigger study of 17,000 people. And so out of those people, um, they had a list of 10 specific questions about childhood and yep. childhood trauma. And, yep. um, based on their results of so based on how many yeses you have you're more likely to engage in risky behavior right um so it's it, aces are really really cool yeah really can, really scary can you give an example <laughs> of a couple questions you want, i can tell you all the questions yeah absolutely let's let's go through it so if i mean if anyone's listening they can kind of like tally up themselves yeah, absolutely so, so so during your um first 18 years of life did a parent or any other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you, or act in a way that made you f afraid that you might be physically hurt? Did a parent or other adult in your household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you, or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch, fondle, or have you touched their body in a sexual way? 
Did you often feel that no one in your family ever loved you or thought that you were important or special? Did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, had, to ha had no one to protect you? Or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or to take you to the doctor if you needed it? Were your parents ever separated or divorced? Was your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? Or sometimes or often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or, or ever repeatedly hit over and over at least a few times over a few minutes, or threatened with a gun or a knife? Did you ever live with anyone who had, was a problem drinker, an alcoholic, or who used street drugs? Was a household member ever depressed, mentally ill, or did, did a household member ever attempt suicide? And did a household member ever go to prison? So those are like the 10 questions. Well, that's heavy. Yeah, so yeah. that's like a lot, right? Yeah. I, I mean, this is something that I kind of do. And I'm guessing um, when you do that with our children, you get a lot of yeses. So I kind of like, so the ACES study is really supposed to be for people who are adults. Okay. But I didn't know that. But I do kind of like have it in a checklist in my mind because yeah. of what the results could have, what could it could mean. Mm -hmm. So like I, I mean I've had some clients have seven, and they're not even eighteen. Seven out of ten. Wow. So, so and so. You, have you? Did you like? Tally yourself? Yeah, I think I had like four. Four? Okay. Yeah. Um, so do you want to know what that means? Sure. Okay. Are you scared? A little bit. Okay. So typically, when you look at somebody who has zero ACEs, which is sounds kind of crazy to me, yeah. because like I think majority of people at least have some have of them. at least one ACE, yeah. right? So when we look at risky behavior, if you ha were to have no ACE, like you answer no to every single question. The chances of you just being a smoker and like smoking cigarettes is one out of 16. Right. Right. So if you had three ACE score, so if you said yes to three of those, your chances are one in nine. So you, out of nine people, your chances of smoking would go okay. up, right? Yeah. But with seven or more, your chances of being a smoker are one in seven. Wow. Or one in six, sorry. So it, so it changes your brain so much that you're more likely to become addicted to things. Well, it, it changes your body's response to how you deal right. with stress and, right. and, and um, I mean, your, your so brain is I, just completely. I learned about in one of my classes, the, the HPA axis, mm -hmm. that it's like the stress response. Yes, and yeah. It, and if that like um, gets overused or over like, if you're like that all the time, then it doesn't work correctly. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, so it's on a, kind of like a permanent, like permanent go. Yeah. So I, I told you about the smoking, but I didn't tell you about the other stuff, which is like a little bit even crazier. Sure. Okay. So keep going. So this if podcast you, is deep. Yeah, it's pretty really deep. Like, so if you have zero aces, your chances of being an intravenous drug user is one in four hundred and eighty. Yeah. So, so that's like, with zero. That's with zero. Okay. So any guesses with a three? One in 50? Pretty close, one in 43. Wow. So if you go from having zero, ace, zero aces, your chances are one, almost 500, right? And you have at least three, your chances are one in 43. And that's only three. That's three out of 10. So, and so yeah, and so if you have four to eight, eight, four to eight aces, your chances are like one in 30. Wow. And your, um, so when we think about the mental health part of it, it's like dealing with like your inability to cope with your trauma. Yep. Um, when we look at suicide, mm -hmm. if you have zero ACEs, it goes from one in a to 96, at least attempts that, you know, you'll attempt suicide, mm -hmm. one in 96. Um, with three, it's one in 10. Wow, that goes down so fast. Yeah, like, and so if you have four to eight, you are there's you have a one in five chance of attempting suicide. So four to eight is one in five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I can just I'm just thinking about all the people I know that might have four to eight. Like it's a lot of people. Yeah. Like so you think about when you have a society that constantly like has that. It's 
problem. And yeah. kind of like still has, a, I mean, we are getting better, but still has that stigma of like yeah. mental health. And yeah. we're not viewing mental health as like a physical. Right. It's not, the, it's not the same as, you know, physical health when you, it's not viewed as the same as when you break your leg and you go right, see the absolutely. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, I, you're right. We're getting better, but like right, it's not you're that. Right. So, you know, a lot of people say, um, like, no shit. Like, obviously if you have a really crappy childhood, like you're gonna engage in risky behavior. Right. So like the wild part is, is that even if you, you come from really hard background, like mm -hmm. have terrible things happen to you, but you are able to like, you know what? Like I, I don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't drink, stay out of prison. Your risk of dying from heart disease goes way up. Really? Yeah. So, so, so you, so you go from so even if you even if you don't do even if you don't do all those other things. Yeah. If you have a higher ACEs score, your heart your risk of heart disease goes up. Yep. So it goes from zero, one. You have a one in fourteen chance when you have zero ACEs, and I'll just skip. I'll, I'll skip like the three, but yeah. from four to eight, you have a one in six chance of having heart disease. Yeah. Holy shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of like really heavy stuff when you're like. I think people sometimes initially hear this, they're like, oh, yeah. I have like how many? And like, oh my God, what does this mean for me? Well, like I just said to you, I counted four yeah. out of the questions that you asked. So, so like, but kind of like the good thing is, is that like we're, you're, we're not all just as doomed. Like there is something that kind of like counteracts that. Yeah. Do you have any idea what that is? It's no. so easy and it's so simple. And it's, I think something that we are doing or like hope teachers particularly do in school um what's that is that you just have a safe stable mm -hmm. relationship with a, an adult yeah and it doesn't have to be a caregiver right so it, it, it doesn't have to be somebody you live with it's just somebody that you can depend on mm -hmm. um somebody a kid can view as safe somebody that a kid can kind of is consistent right, right? so you, it's a consistent caregiving and you know that you can go to that that person and your stress response system is not going to go out of whack, right? Right. And that's right. that's important, right? Yeah. 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 So, pretty crazy, right? Yeah. That's I love this stuff. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, what happens? You know, like what? Any idea of like why your body kind of like does that? Or so, why do you think the the heart stuff? Because that's a weird one. Because you can you can kind of assume maybe the other stuff, right? Yeah. Like I said. Well, my. Um, inclination would be because um you're constantly stressed out so your heart rate's higher all the time does that have anything to do with it well and it's still like the adrenaline that's yeah. constantly pumping through your body right, right. your your cortisol levels yeah are, are cortisol super the stress yeah. hormone right yes yeah. exactly yeah so so you like you're walking through the woods sea bear you got the <gasps> yeah. or you like walk out almost get hit um by a car you have that initial like rush and you, yeah. sometimes you can just feel it and it kind of just comes right down once you kind of realize that you're safe right mm -hmm. so that happens like when in those important times like your um your hypothalamus the part in your brain yeah. that is like the kind of your fight fight flight or freeze yeah activates and is appropriate so you can run faster you can either freeze or you can fight that bear right mm -hmm. um we talk about like when that bear lives with you and you see that bear every single day every single, and then then and then your brain's doing that every day. Every day, constantly. Over and over. Over and over, yeah. right? So your your body's getting inundated with all this cortisol and all these yeah. stress hormones and it can't filter itself out mm -hmm. um, appropriately because what you need to kind of do it is to fight, fight or freeze, mm -hmm. right? To kind of get that cortisol out. Right, but when your brain's constantly doing that and your body's constantly doing that all the time, it doesn't, it almost can't separate the, the different circumstances, right? Right, yeah. right. So when you, so we th think about our brain, we have, um, and we think about stress and trauma and anxiety. We have the frontal lobe, which is like your logical thinking, right? Yeah. So that's like where you do, like you can do your math problems. You can right. write your, your English papers. And then you have in the back again, that your hypothalamus, which is your kind of, or the, the amygdala, sorry, your amygdala, which kind of, stores and kind of is the the command center for mm -hmm. that stress response mm -hmm. so that when you're 
your amygdala thinks that you're in danger, that's when it, everything's shooting out, the cortisol's going, mm -hmm. your hypothalamus is going, your pituitary gland's going, your adrenal gland is going, and like everything is going, fight, 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 fight. all yeah. the time. And you're sitting in English class. <laughs> this is going off. Like, it's not. So you could, this, this, this really explains a lot of the behaviors, like when oh, you absolutely. see a kid acting out, this is why. Absolutely. Because their brain's been rewired almost, right? Right, yeah. right. So so what they're learning is that they, their their body has learned that they need to be on that response. When we look at kids who, who let's say, come from a family who there's a domestic violence, like it is safer for their body to have that response, that fight, flight, or freeze response going all the time, Yeah. right? Um, but when we do that, the more it kind of stays on. Right. The and more, it, the more we're, we're looking for danger in right. unsafe situations. And er, all the time. Place. All the time. Even when there's no danger. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I, I think your eyes scan for danger. I can't even tell you the number, but like crazy amount of times, like within a, within a second, mm -hmm. like over like a hundred times or something like within a second your 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 eyes are kind of scanning for danger wow and so when you have a lot of trauma it's kind of and it's like, like multiplied <laughs> yeah so yeah. instead of a hundred times it's probably like a thousand times yeah so that's when you'll see like kids who are who want walls to the back you know mm -hmm. eyes on door um no one behind me yeah um more predictable like I, right. I know what's gonna happen like i can right. at least scan and better that's why they crave being in control too right well because it's untrusting like right. i'm not i don't trust you so to do uh, to keep me safe right so i want to be in control of the situation yeah at all the time because i in my experience if i'm not something bad happens yeah yeah so yeah so what happens a lot of times is our kids and it, I mean, like, this is the same with adults, right? Because we yeah. grow up, we have these childhood dramas um, or these adverse experiences, and then we grow up and we still kind of have the same <laughs> same responses. So um, so my question is, is how do you retrain your brain to not be like that? So having logical com kind of conversations is, is like, is this really unsafe? Yeah. My brain is telling me, that when I, so when I get anxiety and I'm feeling stressed, that I know now that my, that's my, my body's response for, to be in an unsafe safe situation. Yeah. I'm not in an unsafe situation. So learning to kind of have that conversation with yourself, learn to have that self-talk. Right. Um, to kind of, to kind of, you got to calm your amygdala yeah. because what we didn't talk about is if your amygdala is going off, you can't access any of that frontal lobe part of your brain where you do all your learning. So when you right. have a kid in class who is super anxious and like, right. you know, let's they're not, not, not no, we're not going to forget all the trauma, but they have a lot of trauma right. and their amygdala is going off and they're super anxious Yeah, and they're expected to do a test. Like they're not going to, to be, be able, able to do that. Because they can't even access that because part of the brain. It's not even like a, they they won't they can't it, you right. scientifically cannot right um that's why like i get like irritated when i see people see say like oh well just you know it happened get over it it's like it, they literally their their brain yeah. is like changed like it doesn't work like that yeah and i think that, like you know the old <laughs> thought was was that like kids don't remember or uh, kids are really resilient, so when like traumatic things happen to them, like oh they'll be fine, oh they'll be fine, they're just right. a kid, just a kid, just a kid. And I'm like, you know, that's actually it's sometimes it's worse <laughs> because right. when we're really little and we're nonverbal, so just because the mind doesn't remember, the we always say the body keeps the score. So your body that's remembers. That's, that's a good thing. To um, it's a great book too. Yeah. The, body, the body keeps the score. So your body read always that. remembers. Um, and it's just like, so things happen, like your heart rate goes up. And um, another good book is The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. Um, and this clinician kind of like talks about all these different like trauma kind of things and every different chapter and how kind yeah. of, um, you know, how it affected kids. And there was one particular um, case where he like I don't, I don't know what year it was it might have been in the 80s as well but there was like this cult in Waco Texas yeah and there was this they were kind of in this uh 
gunfight with the feds. Um, yeah. And so he went there to kind of like check in with the kids and see how they were doing. Um, and there was a sheriff or something. So as he was going to kind of see the kids and make sure that they're okay, uh, the sheriff stops him. And he's like, oh, the kids are fine. They're fine. Mm -hmm. They're fine. And he was like, okay, you know what? They're not fine. Right. And I'll tell you what. How about I'll take this. You take this kid's heart rate. And if it's over, mm, let's say like 150, like, or 120, you'll let me, you'll let me come see this kid. Mm -hmm. Because we know like a resting heart rate when you're totally relaxed is like really good. It's like 60, 65. Right. right. So the. I don't think my heart rate's ever that low. So, <laughs> well, so that he takes it and this kid is sleeping. So yeah. he takes the heart rate and it's like 180. And he's like, oh my God. This. He's like, get this kid to the hospital. His heart rate's 180. And so then that the psychiatrist is like, okay, like exactly. This is, this is kind of my point. You're ready for to me to let me do my job. Right. So like your body too mm -hmm. is like when you experience trauma, there is no rest. Yeah. Your body is constantly going. Right. Even when these, some of these kids are sleeping, they're, they're, heart rates are like right. 120 because it's that survival mode right right because they're they've been trained to constantly be in that survival mode all the time all the time all the time no yeah. matter what yeah even when they're sleeping even when they're sleeping that's pretty wild yeah sometimes you know it's a fun thing sometimes i will uh if a kid's really elevated i have a fitbit and i'll just with permission from parents i'll throw it on them mm -hmm. to see kind of where they are and kind of watch them and like wow. what techniques like will work like what if, if they're like oh you know music really helps me i'll let them listen to music but i'm also watching that to see if that's really true right right, right. um or if like the breathing and the, me the meditation and the mindfulness which is we know is really helpful definitely right? because when you're traumatized and you have a significant trauma background you think in past and past and future right mm -hmm. so you're thinking about things that have happened in the past or things that haven't happened yet you're, you're never, never in, in the, the present and you're never in the never in in the moment um which is what mindfulness is all about it's just right. getting you kind of like here I'm right. safe this right. is what's happening right now like i'm taking a test yeah i'm not at home like how uh, how effective uh, do you find mindfulness to be um i think it's it's when you have somebody who teaches it who actively pra practices it and is really bought into it um it works a lot better yeah yeah cool. i think that i think that we we talk a lot about mindfulness in school too um but we don't always practice what we preach and yeah, like I that's agree. the thing that you have to really like, really really be a master at and like do it yourself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before it can be effective with other kids Mm -hmm. yeah. so um we have so what do you what, where, where, what do you think um is a way to like how do we best help the people that are traumatized well i can tell you one thing claremont school search is doing sure okay so it's specific, uh specifically with the aces studies and yeah. knowing kind of like you know what that is um one of the the programs that we have in Claremont that kind of combats the ACEs and ACEs score and adverse childhood experiences is the Miskinder program. So okay. we do that. Tell we, me about that. So we do um, just kindergartners. Mm -hmm. um, we started it last year. The year before Newport did it. Um, I do the kindergarten classrooms at, at Disnard. Um, Melanie Williams from TLC in Claremont, she does the Bluff Kids, yep. and um, Mary Head, who's a school counselor at Maple Ave, does yep. the Maple Kids. So the Miss Kendra program, um, the kids learn about this fictional person who, it's kind of like Santa Claus, so I, I tell the parents, I'm like, it's, she's not an actual person. Right. I mean, but she, like, if you tell your kid <laughs> that she's not real like i'm going to say that she's real right um because the idea the idea behind her is very real like right. maybe her as a person is not real but mm -hmm. the, everything about her is real mm -hmm. so she is a person who the children learns that she suffered a loss she mm -hmm. lost her only child when she was 10 mm -hmm. um or when her child was 10 and that you know that made her really really sad mm -hmm. Sometimes when we have parents who are really sad, they might want to stay in bed. Right. So Miss Kendra would stay in bed for days. Right. And then, you know, she finally, she had a dog that kind of helped her and she mm -hmm. went on a walk and she saw a school and she kind of thought to herself, oh, you know, if only 
my child was safe. Like, and I wish all the kids could be safe. Absolutely. And yes, and so she, you know, Miss Kendra has this idea in her in her story, and and uh, she goes and talks to the principal, and she sees if she can be a greeter, and she starts saying hello to the kids, like, "How are you? Mm -hmm. How'd you sleep last night?" And then she kind of noticed that some kids would say they were fine when they didn't look fine. Yeah. Um, and how sometimes we're just trained to just say that things are okay when they're not okay. Right. I mean, I think that's a big problem because I think I, I even do that. I mean, and I know people who do that, you know, even when you're not okay, like, and then they just say, well, you know, whatever, you know, it'll, it'll pass or, right. you know, and yeah. instead of con confronting those emotions, which right. is probably the right thing to do. Yeah. And so, so Miss Kendra, like asks these kids all these questions and then she finds in the story, she finds these questions that just seem right. Um, and then out of these questions, she makes, she has this list. And mm -hmm. so the kids learn her list. Um, so every day when I go in there, we go over Miss Kendra's list and there are Miss Kendra's rules. So every kid knows that the first one's no child should be harmed based on their race, religion, or gender. Yep. So they'll, they'll chant it back. And then no child should be punched or kicked. No child should be left alone for a long time. No child should go hungry for a long time. Yep. No child should be touched in their private parts. Yep. No child should be scared um, by gun violence at home or in school. Yep. No child should have to see other people hurt each other. Yep. No child should be bullied or told they are no good. And so by the end, like, I'm telling you, like, by December, these kids will know this list, right? Yep. And so what they know, they learn, it. yeah, I what they learn it. is yeah. that these things happen. So we, we normalize that, like, these things happen. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't happen. But they do. But they do. And yeah. you're not the only one right. that has ha has this experience. Mm -hmm. And so the kids kind of, when we go through the list, sometimes they'll share an experience. Mm -hmm. um, and because we know with the ACEs score, things having that safe, stable adult, the kids draw, they draw and write letters of their worries to Miss Kendra. And Miss okay. Ke Kendra writes back to them, to every kid. And um, she symbolizes her, their strength and their bravery by sharing this stuff because it's really hard mm -hmm. to kind of share some of this stuff. Absolutely. Um, so they get Especially a red bead. for a little kid. Yeah, so they get a little red bead and it, they kind of can wear it on their wrists to remind them of their strength and courage and that they were really, really strong to have to have gone through the stuff they had gone through. Um, so it's an awesome program. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Um, I'm and all so for we're, it. Yeah, we're in our second year, so I'm, I'm hoping that as we continue, yeah. uh, we'll be able to reach more kids and yeah. and um i mean the kids get to share i mean there's never gonna be a lack of uh traumatized kids that need help no right no <laughs> yeah. and you know we and even if you're not traumatized that's still valuable right yeah right and i think like getting the message is that i'm not the only one yeah we we don't talk about trauma because we feel that we're the only ones right and that's not and, and and i think like in the same sense like when we t look back at the ACEs study you think about like this is cr like those statistics on your health is crazy yeah you man. know so like why like why don't why doesn't everyone know about this i know like like yeah why doesn't everybody <laughs> well, know because they this? think that everyone everyone has is touched by it and yeah. it's like a little bit uncomfortable and i right. think that like when we look at our parents generation sometimes like, you need to be uncomfortable in order to get a, a point yeah across right yeah. yeah and we like we look at our parents generation and you know we like how many parents had parents who were alcoholics or like you know and that was you i almost know, feel like it's more had one than they didn't right absolutely yeah. and so i think that's like oh but you know well that's like everyone it's just the way it is <laughs> that's the way it is yeah. right and it's it's not it, like it shouldn't be that way yeah it shouldn't yeah. be that way yeah. and, and like if it is like let's that's, talk about it that's the struggle man yeah that's definitely um the struggle so where my brain's going right now so i'm thinking about okay we're in a time of a pandemic so um don't you think that uh um you know it's gonna get worse i mean let's let's think about it so yeah. i think anxiety of just if we even take the anxiety of just getting sick off the table yeah we have people who are home yeah. more and so like we're more likely to engage in drug use alcohol use right that's kind of like a weird running joke is like how much you can drink right like, or, or like now that you're like the drinking is up right which is like kind of a weird social like okay thing to right yeah so, you know it definitely yeah. is especially in like moms too like 
like being a mom it, there's like this weird cultural norm of like being an alcoholic and like meat wanting to drink wine and, like, yeah that's no. a whole like yeah. that's a whole other thing but yeah. so we look at that and then we look at maybe parents lost jobs and then we look at um so they lost their job so that probably means they're stressed right and then we're talking about that bear right right so if you and if you do live with a bear that means you're home all the time with right. that bear now well and i think that you know <coughs> maybe a parent turned into a bear that wasn't a bear before yeah absolutely that too you know what i mean especially um, if someone lost their job or something right they lost their job and are you know it are lacking kind of their yeah. their basic needs yeah that's why and i don't want to bring you into my political stuff but that's why i'm so a strong advocate for like the government needs to help like the government needs in times of a times of a pandemic the government needs to make sure that people are taken care of and have their basic needs met and i think we have this idea that it's not the government's job but it should be that's all i'm gonna that's all i want to say about yeah and i think that it's like (laughs) you know when we talk about food and hunger it's not and like as we kind of talked about today, it's like not really just about being hungry. Like it no. has deeper mental and like physical effects on you. Yeah. When you have that yeah. trauma. If you're all and you're always worried about whether you're going to have food or not, it's not just about being hungry. It's about, you know, your right. brain's going through that. Right. Yeah. You have that inconsistency. So. Yeah. And that's a real thing. That's a like, that's a real problem that we yeah. have. I yeah. Well, actually, you know, what's a really interesting kind of like last part of trauma that um, that I, th- I think is pretty neat to know is that when we look at trauma, like early childhood trauma, and we look at behaviors of kids who have been traumatized, yeah. they mirror a another diagnosis, which some people think could be the reason for a spike in this diagnosis. Um, I, you know, I think that we are getting to understand it, so the spectrum is bigger. But when you look at a kid who has significant trauma, their like lack of social sk- skills, lack of yeah. r- regulation, mirror somebody who is autistic. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I've all I've and I think I've learned this in school, and I've always kind of thought this. I think. Not always, obviously, but right. a, per, a kid that has special needs, it's almost like a byproduct of poverty because they, you know, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they, it, it like trains your brain almost right. to like, not necessarily be autistic, but almost have autistic traits. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I will say like, I, there have definitely been some kids that have had that autism diagnosis that I saw like on paper from a younger level, but you know as they get older it doesn't seem like it really fits yeah and, and so then you're kind of questioning like hmm is that really the right diagnosis or, or are they just trauma because it really is like a mirror images right and i mean autism means that your brain is wired differently right right and right. just like trauma and trauma wires your brain differently yeah, exactly. so, so there's a difference where where like you're just born that way you know like oh, yeah. your your brain is born wired differently with autism and yeah. where your brain is trained to be to wired, wired differently, differently with trauma yeah and that's that's why people who with really hardcore um trauma backgrounds end up with mean special needs special needs right. programs yeah because whether they have autism or not you know they still have a traumatized brain and their brain still functions right. differently than a neural neurotypical human does right yeah 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 so that's i mean like that's a kind of like aces where I kind of geek out on. Yeah, but, um, that was awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I suppose, okay. Holy cow, we've been going for 38 minutes already. <laughs> we, trauma, it's like you get really deep. Yeah, and yeah, yeah no, but that's awesome. That's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Um, you said that you're um, just a shift. You sports. You yeah. were you were a sports person. Yeah. Um. So and you said big you, time. And so we'll talk about that. Talk about sports. So I so. So like again, like my real my real roots. My dad grew up in Charleston, Mass. So like when you have somebody who like grew up in Boston, they never say that they're from Boston, right? So yeah. my dad grew up on Mystic Street in Charleston, <laughs> like yeah. um, you know. And he at, at the age of two, he got sick and he became deaf. So he's completely yeah. deaf in both of his ears. Um, comes from wicked, wicked athletic family yeah um he played on the national deaf hockey team got a letter signed by one of the kennedys um 
my, he was like one of six. Like my aunts were like crazy good swimmers. Um, my my uncle was best friends with Howie Long. Like growing really? up, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So like all these like really really cool kind of like so that's where I like attribute a lot of my like athleticism yeah. and like passion for sports is yeah. like from my dad and like you know yeah and you I know you're a big golfer right? so yeah so I so I I really I actually when I went to college I played golf at the University of Hartford okay um I didn't particularly want to play golf swimming was my swimming, swimming didn't was you, my weren't sport. you the swimming coach at one time I was that's what I thought yeah see everything comes back around I yeah. so the swim team started when I was a sophomore in high school and then I came back and I was the coach for like five years. Yeah. Um, so I, so I played golf in college um, and I really like team sports, like field hockey and stuff like that. Cause yeah. I feel like you get the pressures off of you. Um, and then, you know, with swimming, I mean, it's, it's individual, but like, I don't know, there's just something different about it. Yeah. But golf I really, really liked and it's something now, especially where <coughs> I have like friends who are like want to get into it. But yeah. I'm like, I'm so glad I started when I was five years old, right? And like five years old, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, and like, uh, open so many doors for like girls. <coughs> yeah. Um, and so, but I have a, like a really big mental block with my golf game, um, and it's something that like I have. Like I've never felt like I could like win the big one. My husband talks about the big one. He's like the the women's state amateur for New Hampshire. Like you have some type of like block. He's like you put it on this pedestal. And so recently I've been getting kind of into sports psychology, mostly for like my own use, but also <coughs> like really interesting. Yeah, tell me about that. Being a football coach, I'm like yeah. I haven't done a lot. Actually, haven't done a lot of research about sports psychology. So. Yeah, so teach me. Yeah, so <laughs> so when we look at like I don't know if you have any kids who are like are awesome in practice. Definitely. Do like run their roots. Yeah. Like no are on it. They can I I have kids that will be will be working on a play, will be working on a play all week and they'll will rep it and we'll rep it and we'll rep it's it like and perfect. And it's perfect. like perfect. And then perfect. we get to the game perfect. and it's just like they're freeze. You're like, what? You, yeah. I know you can do it, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, as a coach, you're like, I know that they, you can do it. So like much like my husband, he's like, you're amazing. Like you can yeah. do this. Like you're such a good golfer. Like I wish right. you knew how good you were. Right. Um, I, and it's funny because I say that we say me and my other coaches on our coaching staff say stuff like, like we know you can do this. We've seen you do it. Right. You've shown us, but like. So what it comes down to, I think really is like in this kind of like honestly like this golf podcast i really kind of got hooked on sports psychology about it's come back down to two things so it's either fear of failure or yeah. fear, fear of embarrassment mm -hmm. so i fear i fear that i'm gonna let everyone down or i fear that i'm gonna look stupid doing it mm -hmm. right and so what is like what is really underneath that and so when you when it's fear of like probably in a in a sport like football when you have yeah. your team it's like i'm gonna let everyone down right and, and i don't want to let anyone down in football you know it's and it's like with football everybody has to it's not like other sports where everybody has to do their specific job on that play or else the play doesn't work so right. even if even if um so even if somebody even if nine uh, nine or ten of the 11 players do their jobs if one person doesn't do their job the play doesn't work right so definitely well and so you think about like i'm gonna let everyone down right right but also if i had to guess that there is a little bit of before that game even starts before that play even starts there's already that like okay if i if i do this good i'm gonna win the game for us or if i screw it up i'm gonna lose right. it for us right? right and so instead of like you don't know that like, you know like you no, cannot you predict the f future no right so you need to take each moment by each moment yeah. right so for one figuring out is it that i have the fear of failing yeah um or is it that i have the fear of looking dumb and like being embarrassed right mm -hmm. and then like within that thinking about you know being in the moment mm -hmm. right because you don't, you're not going to lose a football game in the first, like, 10 minutes, Of course right? not. Right? So I think that, like, especially sometimes when you see and that with kids that, like, I get down you, after can, two touchdowns yeah. and, like, I can tell minutes. you how oh. many games I've been through where, you know, the, 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 
the we get down by 14 points and it's like and it's still the first quarter and they're like oh you know yeah it's game's over yeah. and it's like it's not we can score two touchdowns just right. as fast as they did but right. but if but not if you get into that mindset of oh the game's over then right. it, then, so it, then the game's over yeah so yeah. taking it play by play versus yeah. e- versus even like quarter by quarter or like yeah right so like that's why we we try to say you know give us we'd say this to us give us six seconds on every, think about every play you get six seconds on every right. single play give us go hard for six seconds and you get a break and then go hard and take it t- play by play right right yeah. so if that scoreboard wasn't even there i mean like yeah you you know they would know but i think that like looking at the clock ticking down that that adds kind of that sure that more than sure. that anxiety sure. right um yeah, so so that's just something that I'm, I'm I've just I kind of it. figured out Is for myself, and I've had I feel like some really good breakthroughs because I'm like. You know who? Ca- you know I'm at an age where I'm like, who cares? Like, I like this isn't my. This isn't going to define my life. And right. sometimes it feels like that when you're a big sports person, you don't want to your you let your team down. Like, right. This moment feels like right. we're death, and it's not. Yeah. Right. I could even attest to that. So my play flag football on Sundays, and it's like flag football, but people get so like into it and 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 hyped up and it's like and um and then i get into it and i'm yeah. like oh my god i can't let my team down but then i sometimes i just need to remember like i'm playing flag football right. on sunday mornings in, in in claremont new hampshire yeah like you gotta put it yourself in perspective sometimes. exactly so like <laughs> what are the things that matter like i think I, i'm I think honestly like, there so, like football is important like golf's important but right. that's not what matters like no. what matters is my family loves me what matters is that right. like i'm he- healthy what matters is that mm-hmm. I'm happy. Right. Like, sometimes we mix what's important versus what matters, and like, it, we should do that. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Not that you know, being a coach, you know, I'm, I, obviously my job is to try to win football games, but that's not that's not my only job. I feel right. like it shouldn't be. Like, my, we're trying to get these get these kids ready for life, right? Yeah. You know. So what I would say to you, that particular kid is that. What are you, are you afraid of letting somebody down because, yeah. or are you afraid of looking silly and yeah. then going from there? Yeah. Um, because I think that it really, you can have some really great breakthroughs. Absolutely. Do you have anything else that you would like to discuss? Um, I don't know. I think that's kind of, that's kind of it for now. Yeah. I think uh, we sh- you should definitely do this again. Yeah. I mean, I have a whole gaggle of psychology yeah. and can we and like stuff. can we like can you like come on again and we'll like pick a different psych topic and we'll like you know yeah. you know what i mean oh absolutely All yeah right. we i mean we really just talked about the aces and a little yeah. bit about trauma but like there is like there's a whole another thing about like when we talk about moms who use yeah. and like you know why is it hard for moms to can we talk about that for just a second yeah okay okay it's, it's actually really cool right. um so so people who are listening, I, I told you that I had this presentation that I shared with them in school. Yeah. And in this presentation, I shared a picture of my daughters and I wrote Battle of the Oxys. Mm-hmm. Um, so oxytocin is the natural chemical that your brain I remember when the you're name. Affection, you're, okay. you're affectionate. It's like the love chemical. So yeah. when you hug your partner, you kiss your partner, you get doses of oxytocin. Yeah. For a mom, when she like right when she gives birth, she you get the highest surge of oxytocin you could like ever possibly like there's no, have. There's no there's, like there's no like that is like the, the like a Super Bowl of oxytocin, right? Yeah. It's just body's number uh, natural chemical, um, which helps us moms forget and then we <laughs> that's why we have other kids right because right. like we forget about the pain because we have this huge dose of oxytocin Absolutely. but when you have a mom who takes oxycodone the oxycodone is stronger than oxytocin could ever be right so when we think about parents who are addicted to oxycodone or oxycontin mm-hmm. um and we we kind of say you know why can't they just stop for their kids? Yeah. Like they should, they should stop using for the kids. They need to stop. Chemically, they can't. Right. (laughs) Right? Like they're, they're, they can't. Because they're, now they've replaced that chemical, right? And it's a higher chemical, right? Right. So, so. So they're never going to get that feeling. Yeah. So the, the natural oxytocin, oxytocin is 
not as strong as yeah. the oxycontin, right? So, so not Changes to say, your brain. Not and the thing is, is like it's not to say that these parents don't love their kids. I, I think that they not. absolutely love their kids. But when we look at you know why do parents still use in the presence of their kids? Um, it's because they need it. It's be, because it's literally chemically more significant and it takes over their body, right? Yeah. Um, so they, you know, it's really sad to say, but they love their kids, but the drug, the power and the love over the drug is stronger. Yeah, that's, it's sad to say, but it it's, is sad. yeah, and uh, that's also like, that's why I'm, I'm for uh, rehabilitation and not putting drug addicts in jail because right. those, it, we should need to take, we need to focus on um, it's a ment it's a health issue. It's yeah. not. It's not a. It, it's not a. And I'm not talking about somebody who's like selling ridiculous amount of drugs. Like, right. but I'm talking about somebody who's addicted to drugs and gets put in jail for it. Like, they need to be going to a treatment center. We need. Right. To and New Hampshire is like the worst. It really <laughs> One is. One of the worst states for drug rehabilitation. Yeah. And I think we'd have significantly better outcomes if they would got professional rehabilitation help. Yeah. Um, can we talk one more thing? Can we yeah. talk about dopamine for a second? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I'm not like a super dopamine free like I'm like trauma and all that is yeah. kind of my thing. But, I know. Um what about it? Like it's you know we know that people crave it, right? Right. Yeah. And can you do you know why? Like um, can you like I kind of know why, I think, but I can't really explain it. I think it's kind of goes on the same, the same process. Um, when we have like serotonin, so like that, that's a, like the feel good, like yeah. makes us feel feel good. Um, and, and drugs change your dopamine system, right? Right. Yeah. So the best way I can kind of explain this is when let's say, um, okay, let's say that your brain has like is like a whole bunch of grapes okay <laughs> um and you have your own serotonin kind of like squeezing out of that yeah. right okay so what happens is when you use you some of those grapes are going to turn into raisins yeah. right so like so your brain's not it you know it's not using its own serotonin because you're getting it from somewhere else and yeah. again it's so much stronger um so your body is depending on that mm -hmm. in, instead of its own system and then your your own serotonin levels will won't work mm -hmm. essentially okay so it's it, i'm i'm like some of that could be wrong yeah. but i i'm pretty much like i'm like 50 50. Right. <laughs> that's how it is all right Paige. we've been going on for 52 minutes and i like to keep these under an hour perfect so um i definitely like I'm almost thinking we should do like, like I know you're very busy and I'm very busy, but we should do like a psychology episode with Paige. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And we can like figure out, okay, this episode we'll talk about this psychology and we'll in in that. What do you right. think about that? You, you, Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. So that is the end for everybody else that is listening. That was Paige McClay. Just a felt. Just a lots of lots of knowledge about some really awesome things so i hope uh, i hope you guys enjoyed it and i hope you listened and tell your friends